You never forget your first experience. A group of teenage girls approach the entrance. Their nervous energy is palpable. Two ripped shirtless men are standing by the doors, poised to pose for a photo with anyone that plucks up the courage to ask. As they breeze past these models, the girls burst into a fit of giggles, largely brought on by relief. Now that they've made it past the intimidating entry point, the first thing that hits them is the scent. A bold blend of marine breeze, sandalwood and sensual muskwood notes set the mood for this unique event. Though many of these buildings are scattered across North America and will eventually open in several other territories, black shutters placed over the windows prevent you from seeing exactly what's happening inside. The girls' eyes widen as they take in the highly sexualized images that adorn the walls. Black and white shots of men with six-packs and women in daisy dukes help to establish the aesthetic. This is a space where conformity is celebrated and nothing less than perfection will suffice. As throbbing dance beats pulsate from the speakers, the young, attractive staff appear to be above it all. If you do approach them to help you find something, one thing's for sure, it'll cost you. No, this isn't opening night for an exclusive new club. This is just another day at Abercrombie & Fitch. Welcome to Cancelled. I'm your host, Leah, and this is the show where we look back at some of the biggest and most bizarre attempts to cancel people, corporations, and even countries. You may think that the subjects of our very rigorous and academic study deserve public disdain. You may think it's all a gross injustice, but it doesn't matter because all of them are judged in the court of public opinion and ultimately cancelled. Originally founded in 1892 in New York City by David T. Abercrombie, the fashion brand started out as an outfitter for the elite outdoorsmen. By the time we reach the 2000s, American mall culture is everything and Abercrombie and Fitch's preppy clothes have morphed into the ultimate accessory for a US team. After all, A&F aren't just selling their customers apparel, the company's brand image is heavily promoted as a near-luxury lifestyle concept. For many teens desperate to fit in, donning any garment with the brand's signature Moose logo is a quintessential status symbol. But behind the fantasy sold to millions lie many dark truths. And it's only a matter of time before accusations of racism, illegal employment practices, misogyny, sexual assault, and elitism will shatter the all-American aesthetic we've been told to strive for. To understand Abercrombie & Fitch's reign as king of teen retail and its eventual demise, you need to look at the brains behind the operation. In 1992, Leslie Wexner, CEO of L Brands, then named The Limited, hires Mike Jeffries to reinvigorate a and the company had been purchased by Limited Brands in 1988 after bankruptcy. Jeffries is tasked with concocting a formula to help boost sales. He draws on the brand's heritage as an outfitter of sporting and excursion goods, but reimagines the clothes as preppy apparel, casual enough to be worn to the beach. In order to associate the clothes with America's privileged and wealthy youth, he leans into an age-old notion that everyone can agree on. Sex sells. Though Jeffries is considered to be the main creator of the company's new vision, he needs someone to bring this concept to life. He looks to fashion photographer Bruce Weber to help establish a middle ground between Calvin Klein's overt sex appeal and Ralph Lauren's preppiness. Arguably best known for his book Bear Pond, 
a collection of homoerotic black-and-white nude shots of athletic men, Weber's photos of chiseled bodies quickly become synonymous with the A&F brand. A unique selling point is set in stone. The clothing is nothing special, so why not market it with naked people? By the mid-90s, dozens of new stores have opened. Clothes that were once targeted at young adults are now aimed at high schoolers, dying to be seen as cool and hungry for a sense of belonging. The reworked stores are an experience in themselves. A&F's fragrances permeate at such high intensity, they're enough to give you a headache. The music is loud, the lighting is dim, and the prices are pretty steep, given that you're essentially being sold a hoodie with a moose stitched on the front. But what about the customer service? For a brand that now prides itself as all-American, you'd think that this would match the standard expected in the United States. But this is not the company's main concern. The staff resemble those featured in Weber's images, which now proudly decorate the walls and grace the shopping bags. This is no coincidence. Just like everything else, A&F do recruitment a little differently. Remember, this era predates social media as we now know it. Hiring is not as easy as sending a DM to an influencer with piercing eyes and a strong jawline. Things have to be a little more hands-on, so specific sororities and fraternities are targeted to find staff. The logic is that employing popular college students to model and sell ANF's clothes creates a brand that feels aspirational, but not unattainable. Those considered good-looking enough to be offered positions are labeled as brand representatives or models, as opposed to traditional customer service assistants. But is it even possible to define what good-looking actually means? According to ANF, of course it is. They've written a whole book on it. Store managers are given a guide to school them on who they can and can't recruit. Discriminatory enough to inspire a million think pieces, these days it's hard to imagine a text like this not being instantly shared on social media by a scorned employee. But in a pre-digital age, managers reluctantly comply with its content. The lookbook is so detailed and controlling, it even dictates what kind of undergarments are appropriate for staff to wear. One of its worst rules? While a neatly combed, attractive hairstyle is acceptable, dreadlocks are forbidden. The A&F look is ultimately summarized as natural, American, and classic. To put it simply, those who work in a customer-facing role must be primped, preened, and white. As the new millennium begins, the brand's popularity is at an all-time high. But it doesn't take long for both the public and mistreated staff to notice all the injustice. In 2002, the company sells a shirt featuring the slogan, quote, Wong Brothers Laundry Service, two Wongs can make it white, end quote, with smiling figures in cone-shaped Asian hats, a depiction of early Chinese immigrants. The company discontinues the designs and apologizes after a boycott is staged by an Asian-American student group at Stanford. That same year, Abercrombie kids are forced to remove a line of thong underwear sold in pre-teen children's sizes after nationwide storefront protests. The underwear includes phrases like eye candy and wink wink printed on the front. Product criticism will continue to follow A&F for the next several years. In one particularly notable example, the Women and Girls Foundation of Southwest Pennsylvania protests the sale of t-shirts which display messages such as, who needs brains when you have these? available for parties, and I had a nightmare I was a brunette. 
After five days of intensive national media coverage, ANF pulled two of the t-shirts from their shelves, released an apology, and agreed to have corporate executives meet with the foundation at ANF HQ. Meanwhile, a worn-out manager decides it is time to blow the whistle. He tells the Wall Street Journal that ANF store managers must rank employees on a scale from cool to rocks. If they aren't deemed to be at least cool, they're permanently zeroed out from the store's schedule. Even if you can get your head around this bizarre performance indicator, it's hard to imagine how it could possibly be measured. Unsurprisingly, it has nothing to do with sales and everything to do with image. Managers are responsible for taking Polaroid pictures of their staff, which they send to the ANF powers that be to ensure models comply with the look policy. According to ANF's former VP of merchandising, Cindy Smith Maglione, one person signs off on everything Mike Jeffries. Their managers keep their staff in the dark about this practice it's becoming increasingly clear that people of color are the ones who are being let go or aren't being rebooked for shifts. Those who do remain on the books are forced to work in the stockroom out of the customer's sight. In 2004, a lawsuit is filed. In the case of Gonzalez versus Abercrombie and Fitch, the company is accused of discriminating against African-Americans, Latinos, Asian-Americans, and women by preferentially offering floor sales and store management positions to Caucasian men. Though they admit to no wrongdoing, ANF agree to settle the class action suit, forcing them to pay $40 million to African Americans, Latinos, Asian Americans, and women who applied and were not hired or worked in certain store positions. In a bid to create positive change, the court also lays out a long list of requirements. ANF must revise hiring and performance measurement systems, as well as promotion policies and internal complaint procedures. They also need to appoint a vice president of diversity, hire 25 recruiters to seek out minority applicants, discontinue the practice of recruiting employees at primarily white fraternities and sororities, include more minorities in marketing materials, report to a neutral court-appointed monitor twice per year regarding progress in those areas, and report to the court once per year. Talk about a rebrand. But the problems don't stop there. Though ANF initially profited off a large consumer base of insecure kids with raging hormones, these customers are now growing up. If there's anything we know about teenage trends, it's that they don't last forever. If the company wants to stay relevant, they need to quickly find a way to reach the new generation. As online shopping's popularity explodes, ANF's in-store experience is beginning to feel less and less relevant. The fickleness of youth is not the only fresh problem. In 2005, the company's brand is believed to have reached its maximum growth potential in the American market. Just as ANF begins its international expansion, the global recession hits. Determined to keep his company in the public eye, Mike Jeffries begins to let the press into the world of ANF, something he had previously avoided. In a 2006 Salon magazine interview, Jeffries states that the ANF brand is only suitable for, quote, the good-looking cool kids, end quote, and that there are people who do not belong in his clothes, namely the overweight. He goes on to say, quote, that's why we hire good-looking people in our stores, because good-looking people attract other good-looking people, and we want to market to cool, good-looking people. We don't market to anyone other than that. In every school, there are the cool and popular kids, and there are the not-so-cool kids. Candidly, we go after the cool kids. We go after the attractive, all-American kid with a great attitude and a lot of friends. A lot of people don't belong, and they can't belong. 
Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. End quote. The article, which is given the headline, Youth, Sex and Casual Superiority, is met with public disdain. Though we can probably all think of several fashion brands that feel restrictive and segregated, for any business person to openly admit they only want certain people's money seems like career suicide. By 2008, the company's stock price has dropped to an all-time low of $14.64. Years later, the impact of Jeffrey's comments still pack a punch. His words resurfaced in May 2013 when actress Kirstie Alley, who has experienced public body shaming of her own, brings the comment up in an Entertainment Tonight interview. This leads then-prominent and since-cancelled talk show host Ellen DeGeneres to publicly speak out against the company. In an official statement on May 17, 2013, Jeffries addresses the controversy, saying, quote, While I believe this seven-year-old resurrected quote has been taken out of context, I sincerely regret that my choice of words was interpreted in a manner that has caused offence. He also states, We are completely opposed to any discrimination, bullying, derogatory characterizations, or other antisocial behavior based on race, gender, body type, or other individual characteristics. End quote. But actions speak louder than words, and in December 2014, Jeffrey steps down as ANF CEO amid mounting criticisms of the company's performance and 11 straight quarters of negative company comparable store sales. Shares jump 8% after the resignation was announced, marking the biggest one-day gain in more than nine months. Though Jeffries is now out of the picture, it's the behavior of ANF photographer Bruce Weber that next comes under fire. In December 2017, Model Jason Boyce sues Weber claiming sexual assault during a 2014 casting session. A second model, Mark Rickardson, comes forward that same month alleging similar claims. He eventually joins Boyce's lawsuit against Weber. Though Weber denies the allegations, the New York Times details sexual assault allegations by 15 male models against him. And what about Les Wexner, the business tycoon responsible for appointing Jeffries as CEO? Frankly, there isn't enough time in the world to go into his entire shady past, but Wexner's close relationship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein means he will forever go down in infamy. These ties have led to countless accusations of abuse of power, sexual assault, and financial gain from exploitation. As fast fashion retailers like H&M and ASOS begin to dominate the current market, ANF vowed to remove their emphasis on sexualized advertising and put a greater focus on customer service and diversity. As they wave goodbye to their aloof brand representatives and models, new ANF stores assistants do the unthinkable. They actually help customers in making their purchases. By May 2015, these changes are apparent in all stores. In 2021, the brand experienced their best second quarter operating income since 2008. Who knew that finally treating people equally could be so good for business? With an uncertain future ahead, it's hard to understand how a brand that was so concerned with its own image couldn't see how ugly its actions truly were. This episode was written by Rory Boyle. This is a Broccoli production. <laughs> <laughs>